Welcome to the Pious, the Pig, and the Podcast. I'm Colby Mitchell. And I'm Davis Pig. Welcome to the podcast where I try to teach Davis a little something about Catholicism, and he makes fun of me for it. Davis, what you been up to? Man, I have been hiking recently, and it was a giant mistake. My blood is mainly ibuprofen and lactic acid right now. Uh, yeah. Turns out, yeah, doing doing a grand total of uh, 15 miles 50 mi- with 50 pounds on your back and uh, about 8,000 feet of elevation, elevation gain. Uh, while not doing any exercise generally ever <laughs> was, um, was a bad choice, and my body's telling me that. But while the, the body is weak, the mind is willing. I'm zoned. As always. Let's do it. As always. Where'd y'all go hiking? Uh, Big South Fork National Forest, or National Park, National Recreation Area, something like that. Yeah, one of those. It was a good time, real pretty, a lot of rocks, saw a couple snakes, uh, yeah, a couple of copperheads, uh, so that was fun. Eesh. Hadn't seen a snake in a while since my timber cruising days, and uh, yeah, all in all, all in all, pretty good. Um, nice. I'm going to say it was worth it, because, you know, I, hang, I hung out with some buddies, but like, you know what, if you asked me either of the past two days, absolutely not. Like, I, I came home walking in on a stick, like with my walking stick to keep me propped up. It was rough. It was a rough go of it for old, old the old pig. Good. The old, old wild hog needs to uh, really, really work on his fitness. Start sprinting those hills outside your house. God no. <laughs> Davis yeah. lives on a small mountain. Yeah. Last time I visited him, I sprinted up and down those hills and almost died. Yeah, and Mississippi standards, like, I literally live on top of a mountain. But like, <laughs> Mount it's Olympus. A, it's a, Olympus. Good good try, though. Uh, you and your Greek. It's man. a Catholic podcast, not a Greek mythology podcast. But, I mean, a big part of the Catholic Church is, like, Greek. True. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Olympus, I guess, is part of the mythology. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, it was... Uh, yeah, those hills around my house are rough, but it really is a big hill. But again, the highest point in Mississippi is um, 800 feet above sea level at a nice, like, I mean, what, 10% grade? It's essentially just a giant anthill. Technically, uh, smallest mountain in the uh, North America. It's not a mountain. Like, I, like It is considered a mountain by the mountain people. The mountain people. That's a pretty loose sighting of your source there. <laughs> Whatever the government mountain officials, they, they consider it a mountain. The government, uh, like, okay, okay, we, we can talk about this offline. But there's, <laughs> like, there's no way in hell that, uh, yeah, that Woodall Mountain or whatever it is, is literally a mountain. By <laughs> Like, I feel like you have to have exposed rock peak. What is a mountain? This is the podcast. What is a mountain? What is a mountain? Faith the size of Mount Woodall, you know, you can move actual mountains. If you have the faith the size, faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move Mount Woodall. Yeah, and if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, nowadays you'd definitely be caught in an MRI and excised out of your body. <laughs> if that, uh, we, we would be able to tell if we had the faith the size of a mustard seed and that mountain doesn't move, then it's just a big hill. Yeah, I still don't think that passes for your definition of mountain. Well, take it up with the government people. 
God. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Did right, you well, step on step on any of those snakes while you were on uh, on the trail? Is this your attempt at a segue? Oh, of course. Uh huh. Vroom vroom. Colby's on a segue. And no, I didn't. I, mo- I moved them from my path, so they did not strike at my heel. Oh, uh, good. Well, you know verily, who does... Verily. You know who does stomp on snakes, Davis? I, I, bless. I, I, I'm sorry. Every time I pause, I'm looking for a joke, and then I, and then I like, the second and a half after, I miss it. In failure. The Blessed Virgin Mary steps on snakes. She destroys all evil often depicted with her foot on top of a snake. Oh, is she really? Yeah. I, I, I feel like I should know that. Eh. When you're seeing, when you're looking at statues of, of Mary from afar, you're not normally looking at her feet. You're looking at um, nah, but crown I, on her head. No, nah, but I bet you some weird folks are. But some weird folks would be too. Don't Hopefully kink, they're... Don't want a kink shame here, but... Uh... <sighs> no, I want a kink shame if they're in the church. <laughs> Yeah, just have, having a having a ball with uh, Michelangelo's David. Let let's just pivot hard from going down that rabbit hole because <laughs> today we're talking about uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. All right, the Immaculate Conception herself. The Immaculate Conception. The old IC, as I call her. The Mother of God, the Queen of Heaven. OG. OG. The real one. The New Eve. Of course, we're actually going. We're going to dive into so, so each of those, so each of those topics. Okay, perfect. Yeah, each so, of those titles. Okay, good. And I, I'm going to get this joke in, Colby. No, get it in. Sorry, she's she's so glorious that you know even has like a ubiquitous football play named after her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there we go. And a whole football team of Notre Dame. What? Notre Dame means Our Lady. I did not know that. Yep, Catholic school. Well, it's all Catholic it, in quotation marks. Is it French? Yes. And that's why I don't know. Because <laughs> it's not Latin. Yeah, it's French. Huh. Notre Dame. But yeah, whenever maybe. you whenever you get into America, it's Notre Dame. Yeah, we really butchered that one, didn't we? No, we perfected it. Huh. Who let the French have a language anyway? Uh Thousands of years of conquest. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure we'll get into on one of Davis's history episodes. Yep. Well, let's start with uh, the title Mother of God. This is a title that most of the early church fathers really harped on uh, whenever they were in their writings was the, the Mother of God part. And it really is the basis of every other title that she has because being the mother of God means something more than just being Jesus' mom. I was about to say, yeah, no, you you say harp on it. It's like, well, it's it's kind of like the one defining thing about her is that she is literally the mother of Jesus. Like, right, which makes sense to us, and that's something we've grown up with. But that's been a a battle the church had had to have in the early church days as well, um, because people were saying. Mary wasn't the actual mother of God, that she had no real part in Jesus as God when giving birth. Like, it tried to make Jesus the man and Jesus the divine, Jesus who is God, two separate beings. Okay. That came together after birth. Uh, But that's 
not the case. So really, that had to be stamped out, and that was a heresy that was dealt with in the early church. Again, and, it's the it's the time in the podcast where you say the heresy that was dealt with in the uh, in the early church times. Like you always, whenever you hear that, you always go to yeah, they put up a bunch of people against the wall and took care of them. That's not how heresies got dealt with. Heresies got dealt with of, uh, I mean, it it has in some instances, but at early church it was, hey, let's have a council and talk about it and figure out what's actually true and, uh, and, and figure out what the actual proclamation to say, hey, this is what is true. It was okay, whenever so, you got into, like, Arianism when St. Nicholas started punching people in these councils that were... St. Nicholas as in Santa? As in Santa Claus, puncher of heretics. Oh, man. Okay, yeah, you're, well, you're, add that to your saint list uh, yeah, for December. Because <laughs> that's a story that's fun that we won't get into now. But, but yeah, it, it uh, you know, they these heresies were dealt with. The church came together and was like, hey, we need to figure this out because it's kind of important of whether or not... Mary is the mother of God, because if she's not the mother of God, that means Jesus would have been two separate beings, one human, one divine, that's put together. But that's not, uh, you know, church teaching. I don't think any church believes that now, where it's Jesus was one person, fully human, fully divine. So, if Jesus was fully human and fully divine, that makes Mary the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. Mary's the mother of God. She supplied Jesus with her DNA. Uh, she uh, had a direct line in the blood from King David. And uh, obviously the prophecy that came from the Old Testament said that Jesus was going to come from David's line, and that didn't go through Joseph. It went through Mary, who mm-hmm. shared her blood uh, and I, with And Jesus. I imagine they didn't look at the matrilineal line too hard back in those days. I think if you get into the Gospels, it goes through every patriarch and every dad <laughs> that came down until you get to Mary. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, was so she, that, was wait now was she did she have any brothers? Mary. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so though. So that might have been like at the end of the line, like all the way down. It's like you know, all the way. Everyone oh, had a son. Everyone had right. a son. Everyone had a son, and then because didn't she have a sister? No, she had a cousin. Cousin? Mary Magdalene is what's who you're Ru- thinking about. What's Ruth? I'm sorry, Elizabeth was the cousin. Uh, Ruth? Ruth was an Old Testament prophet. Okay, yeah, no, okay, then Elizabeth is the one that's like the baby jumped in a room kind of thing. Right, right, yeah, Elizabeth yeah, okay. was her cousin. So mm-hmm. she might have she been like a, a an only child, which was Where the line ended. Yeah, that's the line fair. ended. I bet then, you if we get boom. through there, because a lot, a lot of... When you look at faith through the right lens, it does make logical sense when you jump through those things. So, absolutely, I'd be willing to bet that that's that's correct. Mm, You love seeing a girl boss win. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway, Jesus is God. Mary gave birth to Jesus. Mary is the mother of God. Mm -hmm. Clear on that. That works. I think everybody's on board with that. Yeah. Um, but that because it was such a it was trying to figure out who the person of Jesus was, they had to figure that out in the early church. So if you go back to the early church fathers, you'll find a lot of writings about how Mary is the mother of God. The next part that comes with that is the Immaculate Conception. The I see like you'd like to call it. 
So when okay. we when people hear immaculate conception, most normal people and not people who really dig into, you know, the intricacies of who Mary is and Mariology and stuff like that, immediately Ma- think well, of Mariology? That's a whole study. Yes. Man, they really mailed in that name, didn't they? <laughs> well, just like Christology, study of Christ. Oh man. Mariology. Oh man. Study of Mary. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, no, they they missed on that one. Uh, <laughs> I had a thought, missed it. Go full steam ahead. Go for it. So the Immaculate Conception, everybody thinks it's when Mary conceived Jesus, but it was really when Mary was conceived. Yeah, and this is something that I didn't know for like an embarrassingly long time. I mean, it's not that embarrassing because I I bet if you polled a lot of Catholics in the pews, they would not know that. Okay, and there might be listeners right now that are thinking that like. Oh, Davis is dumb as hell. Uh, or, hopefully, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that either. Thanks, Davis, for uh, validating my feelings. Or maybe they're thinking both. They're thinking, man, Davis is dumb as hell. Dang it, I'm dumb as hell, too. Oh, maybe. <laughs> and this is the part where we berate the listeners again. That's my favorite part. Uh, so so Mary was conceived without original sin. That is what made her her conception immaculate. Uh, she also refrained from sin her entire life. Mary was sinless. This is kind of one of the hardest teachings for the everyday Joe to really accept. They see uh, Romans three twenty three. It says, "All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." And John one eight says, "If any man says he has no sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him." So whenever you're looking just at those verses, you're sitting there going. Mary definitely sinned because she was a person as well. Well, well, she's not a man. I said any man. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, we've been reading it all wrong. Yeah, Davis Pig, solving two thousand years of uh, <laughs> of uh, confusion yeah. right here. Women, women are perfect, especially my wife, especially your girlfriend. They can do no wrong. Good head. It all, it all makes sense. Yeah. It all makes sense now. But it it. It also seems like Mary also says, hey, I'm full of sin as well, whenever she said, uh, she said, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. So she referred to God as her Savior in Luke 147. So you would think, okay, she understood herself to be a sinner, and she admits to needing a Savior. So here's where it's going to get confusing for people that are coming from the other side of the argument that start with the acceptance of Mary being without sin her entire life. And I think that's typically the two edges. You either have, oh, wait, I always knew Mary was without sin, or no, Mary's always been a sinner. It's hard to hard to put those two things together and figure out exactly what's going on. So Mary did need to be saved. However, Mary was saved in a different way than you and I were have, need to be saved. Mm-hmm. But was she asked by someone like, hey, Mary, are you she, saved? She was never asked, are you saved? saved? She had no, she had, uh, most Christians, I'm sure, had no need to ask her that. Uh, The same as you and I have been asked many a time in our life. Oh, gosh. Uh, Mary did not need to have that asked for because she was saved. She she was saved in a different way. She, She was saved by God giving her the grace to be saved from sinning at all in the first place. God set her apart, had her conceived without original sin, 
and then gave her the grace to reject sin altogether. Now, to, to him, so this is Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing. So the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. So around 600 years ago, there was a Franciscan theologian named Duns Scotus. And he made the analogy that falling into sin could be like a man who fell into a ditch. To be saved, he needs to have that rope thrown down to him, ask for the rope, have the rope thrown down, climb out of that ditch. And voila, he's been saved. He said that you could also be saved in the way of that same person who threw down the rope to go, whoa, 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 there's a ditch there, you don't want to run into it. That person has always also been saved, even though they never fell into the ditch. They were able to avoid the ditch altogether thanks to the grace of that person who, who brought it to them. So that's what we think of when we think about Mary. Mary was prevented from... Fall, uh, from falling in the ditch because she was shown where it was to not have that original sin. Therefore, she was still saved because she was still a human being as mm -hmm. well. Gotcha. She got the old heads up. Yeah, she got a heads up and was given that grace to say, uh, you know. She got, she got the answer. She got the test key before the test. She did. She did. The... Uh, if you go back to that verse that says all of sin, the logical fallacy there as well, if we're going to stick on that logical part of it, is that Jesus was fully human as well. So there had to have been an exception to the rule for Jesus. If there was an exception to the rule for Jesus, easily there can be an exception for, to that rule for Mary as well. Uh -huh. You know, because Jesus was without sin for his entire life as well. Uh -huh. So are they the only two? They're the only two. Well... The only two without original sin, or and Adam and Eve didn't weren't created with their original sin either. But it, but then the thing I mean isn't the line that like Mary both Mary and Jesus have not sinned throughout their entire life. So are they mm -hmm. the only two? So being the only two without original sin, they were the only two without original sin. They were not the only two who have never sinned in their entire life. So to fall into sin. You have to know the difference in right and wrong. You have to willingly choose the wrong uh, with full consent of your will. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, has a, has a newborn baby ever sinned? No. That baby is incapable of sinning at that point. So any, any child that's alive cannot sin. They have no reason. They don't know the, the difference between right and wrong. When does that accrue? Uh, seven years old is when the, the Catholic Church calls the age of reason. Which is also funny, because that's also a line in, like, the general tort law for, like, culpability. That's where you start getting culpable, or, like, when you're... Uh, I wonder, I wonder where, what the basis of law came from. That means... Christianity. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, uh, we can go back to Hammurabi's Code, like... That I think that predated Christianity by like 3,000 years. It did, but the law systems that we base off of in the West are based off of Christian nations. Oh, yes. Christ, yeah, Christian, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we want to bring it back to America, it's pretty blatantly Puritan. Like, yes, and, and yes. In that, in that respect. Uh, 
But yeah, we'll, we'll have to get into Puritans one day too. That they run me nuts as far as the the I guess leftovers of what the Puritans left us in America as far as Catholic guilt, pure Puritan thing. Oh, I was gonna say liquor laws in most of the South. No, that too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that makes sense. And also, I mean, you're talking about the um, it's like getting us back on track to the knowing the difference between right and wrong and drawing another parallel to the legal side, that's also kind of the definition of insanity. There's a little bit more to it. This is not legal advice. It is simply legal information. Uh, I'm not your attorney, and uh, do not rely on this as legal advice. Anyway, um, the but, like, that's part, of, that's part of it. It's like when... Folks say, oh, they just, you know, pled insanity. That's not really a thing. Like, it's not like the thing as we know it colloquially. It's not like they were insane. It's it's the law saying at the time of their crime, they did not know what they were doing was wrong. Um, so, mm. like, for example, and stuff they use to, like, disprove the insanity defense is, like, uh, like a cooling off period or, like, you know, any cleanup of a crime scene is, like, is because why'd you do that? Well, it's because... You didn't you want knew people it was to wrong. find the evidence. Therefore, you know, you right. knew the difference between right and wrong. And it's also not like a, uh, you know, uh, uh, guess get away free card. Yeah, get out of jail free card. It's definitely like, instead of going to federal prison, you go to a psych ward for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, no. No picnic right. in that effect. And right. and that's, that's kind of like what we talked about, I guess, last episode, uh, or the Heaven and Hell uh, episode was there are degree like you it, just because you didn't realize what you were doing was wrong or it was a little sin or something like that doesn't mean justice doesn't come mm-hmm. it just means that your liability in getting into heaven is not damaged at that point okay cool yeah gotcha yeah so okay so how do we know that uh, a Mary was without original sin because that's kind of the big thing that, that people have trouble figuring mm-hmm. out. Uh, let's start with the Annunciation. So the Annunciation happened in Luke 1, 28-30. That's when Gabriel came and told Mary, hey, you having a baby? Uh, and so, and the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, probably. Angels, was, it, was it also, did he come in there like... Like, in corporeal form? Like, was it, like, angel wings uh, coming in? Or, would, you know, if she was troubled by that, it might be just because there was a strange man in her room. Or, alternatively, no. if he wasn't there, it's just because she just heard heard a voice from her mud hut. Like, well, she, she, it says she was afraid, uh, and it was a cave. You can actually go see the cave. Did you know that? In Jerusalem? I, d- I or, did. Not Jerusalem, but... Uh, Bethlehem? She... No, that's where he was born. Nazareth? Maybe. Probably Nazareth. But yeah, yeah you can go see the cave where the Annunciation happened. There's an altar and a, a little Catholic chapel there. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely Nazareth, right? Because no, he went, Joseph was of Na- was living yeah. in Nazareth. And they, they called it, yeah. and they called him Jesus of Nazareth. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so that makes sense. But, but, but she was troubled by the saying. She wasn't troubled by the being. <laughs> she was she was contemplating what the greeting might be itself. 
Also, is it like the the biblically accurate angel with oh, like a rotating disc of like eyes and wings? Like yeah. it's an absolute. Well, when when angels like, pop up, at, they are not those ro- weird AI generated things that. <laughs> yeah, no. Like uh, for anyone who doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, like Google big, biblically accurate angel, and it's uh, I forget which uh, Bible verse it is where they describe angels, but it's uh. It's terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's 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 spooky as hell. Like, yeah. Spooky as heaven. Oh wow! Well, you got you angels. really you really got me on that one. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and give you a little 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 clap. That was good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So so uh, the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." So Mary was tr- was troubled by the odd greeting, and what could that greeting mean? So according to, to biblical scholars, not only was Gabriel greeting Mary, he was communicating a new title to her. So in Greek, oh shoot, I forgot I had to read Greek. I need to go, I need to call your, your girlfriend and get her to help me walk through some of these uh, these things. This uh, is going to be preserved forever and I can't oh, wait for this. In Greek, the greeting was keiri. K-A-I-R-E. Kyrie? Is that... That's not Kyrie. I, I don't know how to spell it. I just... It sounded right. No, Kyrie is K-Y-R-I-E. Okay. Kyrie. Kekaritomina. It's Gaelic coming out of my mouth. This is great radio. Like, it's entertaining for me, but man, that sounded wrong. Kere keka kotomene, or hail full of grace. Generally speaking, when one greeted another with kere, a name or title would be found in the immediate context. So if it was like hail king of the Jews in John 19, 3. So it was kere, hail, here's your title. I I feel like there's some bit in Italian as well that's uh, like... Like, that sounds familiar. Probably because of the because of the Latin Kyrie, and I'm sure you jump from Kyrie. Yeah, this is linguistics with Colby and Davis. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it. I, at least I can feel my my Irish Celtic roots coming out in the way my tongue wants to form this Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, it, it's showing. <laughs> Good, 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 good. Um, so that was that was what made Mary troubled. Gabriel was giving her a title, full of grace. So mm. it was hail full of grace. In Hebrew culture, and as we can see the Old Testament, names and name changes tell us something permanent about the character and calling uh, of one of them that is named, like the what they're called to be. So like when Abram became Abraham, he went from father to father of multitudes in his name change in Genesis 17.5. Mm. Uh, Sarah became Sarah, my princess to princess of all uh, in Genesis 17.15. Jacob got changed into Israel, which was supplanter, was what Jacob meant to he prevails with he who prevails with God in Genesis 32.28. So in each case, the names reveal something permanent about the one that's being named. Abraham and Sarah transition from being just father and princess of one family to being father and princess or mother of the entire people of God. 
they became the patriarch and matriarch of God's people forever, whereas Jacob slash Israel becomes the patriarch whose name he who prevails with God continues forever in the church, which is called the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16. Hmm. The people of God will forever prevail with God in the image of the patriarch who is Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's a pretty common theme and like... Um you know, any kind of esoteric thing you're talking about, like, you know, religion, you know, uh, occult stuff as well. Like, uh, but like names have a lot of power, like, and specifically, you know, what you're called by an angel probably sticks pretty hard. Yeah. So St. Saint, Saint Luke uses um, the, so we're getting gr- grammatical now. And I'm sure grammatical is not the grammatically uh, correct term for that, but I'm, I'm using it, leaning in. The, grammatical... The, it's a rough, it's a, it's a rough, <laughs> rough uh, showing from you right now. <laughs> so St. Luke uses the perfect passive participle of kekar etomene, the full of grace. As, All right, does as, everyone have your English books out? <laughs> as his, Well, you need your Greek one, too. <laughs> God. As his name for Mary. So, so he uses the perfect passive participle. The word literally means she who has been graced in a complete sentence. So she is, it is part of who she has always been. Mm-hmm. Are you following right. me? Did I completely yeah. lose you? Uh, yeah, you, lost, you lost me a little bit. I'll be honest. Like we probably shouldn't talk about like the tenses of various <laughs> stuff again. Like, but like, but like graced being like an action. Like, right. The, it is like, a verbal, like, verbal adjective of graced it's not just describing a simple past action it is yeah. it is something that had happened that is still ongoing yeah no it's like it's not like saying like so like if i punched you in the head it'd be like you know i wouldn't say you know colby of the punch it'd be like no colby who has been punched like it <laughs> yes. has been i will forever have been punched exactly for my translations of greek words exactly and we're gonna have to get your wife the english major to really rip us apart here um, because the last time I heard the word participle was in ninth grade in English class. Well, all you need to know is that she has been graced. It is something that happened that is infused in who she is as, as a person. So full of grace is Mary's name. So what does it tell us about Mary? Well, the average Christian is not completed in grace and in a permanent sense. But according to the angel, Mary is. So you and I... We sin not because of, of grace, but because of lack of grace or lack of cooperation with grace in our lives. Mm-hmm. The greeting that the angel shows us is more about the unique character and calling of the mother of God. So only Mary is given the name full of grace and in the perfect tense indicating a permanent state of Mary was completed mm-hmm. at that moment as well. Mm-hmm. So she has been grace. She's always been full of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, you can pretty much leave it at, like, yeah, it wasn't like a uh, a title. It was more the, what she is. It's, yeah, they, right. they weren't They weren't saying she is a, a, you know, a graceful person. It's that she is, like, capital I, capital S, is grace. Right, she yeah. is full of grace. Yeah. Well, and, and it's she has been infused with God's grace. Mm-hmm. Like she is the, and she is, I don't want to say embodiment of it because she, she herself is not 
what is the grace, the grace was given to her and infused into her as part of who she is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so another reason why she had to be immaculately conceived and born without original sin, be sinless uh, throughout her entire life, is because she was also the Ark of the New Covenant. So the original Ark of the Covenant. Oh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't see that. Uh, I didn't see that Indiana Jones film. Well, this uh, little cooler. It involves salvation of all. And involves like a really old Harrison Ford reprising his role. Correct. Like poorly. Yes. <laughs> in the in the upcoming, uh, they're they're going to reenact the nativity in an upcoming Mel Gibson film and. Uh, Harrison Ford's going to be Joseph. Oh man, if it if it goes by Mel Gibson's other you know Christianity based films, that uh that birth scene's going to be pretty graphic. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not going to be one you want to take the kids to. No, yeah. certainly not. Um, so that the original, if it marries the new Ark of the Cup, the well, she's the Ark of the New Covenant, the Ark of the original Ark of the Covenant of the old Covenant. It itself was a sacred item. So it had three symbols contain uh, symbols of the coming Messiah inside the Ark of the Old Covenant. That was the manna, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod. So the manna being the bread of life, the bread that, that leads us all. Uh, t- Ten Commandments, the fulfillment of the law, and Aaron's rod, the the shepherd and, and guide of the people. Food um, book and a we- uh, food a book and a weapon. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, so because of this, because it had those three symbols in it, it had to be pure and untouched by sinful men. That's why whenever you immediately touched the Ark of the Covenant, of the Old Covenant, you died. Mm-hmm. It was just touch dead. Please see the 1980s, 80s movie, uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, for a demonstration. So, so that... Um, when it was built, it had to be made completely pure. The gold had to have been pure. It uh, no blood diamonds in this thing. No blood diamonds. Well, I mean, maybe some some blood gold. Who knows what they were doing back then? I mean, in their exile, I had to find pure. <laughs> pure as in as in no uh, other metals containing in there. It had to be. Also, okay, so it has to be pure, like whatever the carrot is, twenty-four carat. Gold, like I guess. So it, so it was just a soft as hell box, right? So it would have had to be, yeah. Because if it was just pure gold, yes, technically. Unless they made the thing like eight feet thick, and now now it becomes a problem getting it anywhere. But again, that's why they had it on the two rods, and nobody touched the actual thing. They took very good care of it. It had to have been taken care of and made sure it was put in high places and that. People weren't just willy-nilly touching it because then, you know, corpses are lining the streets. Yeah, well, I mean, sounds a good way to for folks not to touch a box of gold, very soft gold, and mar it up. But, like, you'll actually die if you touch it. Right. So that that was, uh, those are the things that kind of connected, connected Mary as the new covenant. She had, I mean, she was not some warrior or anything. She was 14 years old. She had to be protected and taken care of and, and everything as well uh, by Joseph and, and her family and the like. Even though she was pure, she was made without sin, you know, it's not like she was indestructible physically because of that either. I mean, that would have been a good perk 
Like, yeah, it'd been great. Really, if people really, touch you, they die. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she she probably really didn't foresee like the commercial success that would have had, especially nowadays. I mean, how many how many superhero movies have come out over the years? Like, I guarantee you, there's a niche that, to fit old indestructible Mary in there. <laughs> Just tanking, well, tanking bullets like the whole. The 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 arc the old Ark of the Covenant is supposed to also be basically well it's described in Hebrews ten one as a shadow of the the new Ark of the Covenant which was Mary. Those images translate to each other as well. So we talked about containing the three types of of Jesus inside of her the the Messiah the Manna Aaron's rod and the Ten Commandments uh, and and in, in Hebrew commandment dabar which is how you say that it can be translated into word so compare mary carried the fulfillment of all these types in her body jesus is the true manna from heaven uh from john 6 32 the true high priest which relates to aaron in hebrew 3 1 and the word made flesh in john 1 14 mm-hmm. the and second re- part really it really hit it with the um what it, whatever you said there the bread uh was that the manna from heaven? He is the manna from heaven? Yes, he's the Again, true manna from heaven, John yeah, we, 6, 32. Yeah, no, all, I mean, kind of ties into something we're definitely going to cover one day, but transubstantiation uh, yeah. with that, yeah, I am the body. This is, oh, no, sorry, this is my body, this is my blood. Like, yeah. he is the manna from heaven kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the good second tie, is the... Good tie-in that I just realized. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the number two would be the glory cloud, in Hebrew, the Anan was representative of the Holy Spirit, and it overshadowed the ark when Moses consecrated it. Uh, so it, that was in Exodus 40, whenever the cloud overshadowed it. The Greek word for overshadow in, that's in the Septuagint uh, is a form of apiskiasi. And also, Ooh, what think, is the Septuagint? Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Bible. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I think we talked about that in episode one. Okay, yeah, well, maybe don't lead off with Greek words and assume everyone knows them. <laughs> so Septuagint in the form of episkiasi, and, and compare the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's Luke one thirty five. The Greek word for overshadow is episkiasi there as well so it's it's overshadow in in both sides it matches up okay which which now i'm realizing it required zero of me actually using saying the greek word but we're gonna roll with it no we're, we're gonna i mean please use all the greek that you've written down for this episode because uh because we, i mean we're on a roll already you might as well oh, get it all gosh. out just butcher the greek language um there was also the part where uh, where you mentioned earlier of of Saint John the Baptist who was in the womb of Elizabeth jumped for joy. You compare that, uh, so that was in Luke one. You compare that David leapt and danced before the ark when it was being carried into Jerusalem in the procession in Second Samuel six. So it's the same idea. You got this. Hey, you you have the ark here. David is dancing. Uh, you have. John the Baptist leaping for joy in, in uh, his mother's womb. Jesus as well. induces contractions. Yes, correct. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four would be 
After a manifestation of the power of God working through the ark, David exclaims, How can the ark of the Lord come unto me? Same deal whenever Mary showed up to uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth uh, looked at Mary and said, Why is this granted me that the mother of, the, of my Lord should come to me? So it was those same parallels there of David with the original ark, Elizabeth with Mary. And uh, last one, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Ob- oh. <laughs> Ob- Obedidum. Obedidum. Mm-hmm. I thought that's that was going to be an easy one. That's a name. Yeah, no. Hey, no it, you're, that's you're Hebrew, re- so. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're reading ahead and like getting in your head about it. And, I and know. For the listeners out there who can't see Colby right now, it's like he, he's just so confident rolling into it. <laughs> and then he, he comes up right up to it. He's just like, uh, uh, oh, God. <laughs> Hebrew is a lot less frightening than the Greek, but... Uh, the Ark of the Lord, this is Second Samuel six eleven. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidom three months. Uh, compare that to Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months in Luke one fifty six as well. So that is that is all the points where it kind of compares her to the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And the last one that we we talked about a little bit, uh, but we didn't really get into was is the new Eve. So we you know. Eve and Adam and Eve brought original sin upon themselves. Mary and Jesus are those that are the reflections of Adam and Eve. They're the new Adam and the new Eve. Hold on, let me roll that back real quick. I thought they brought Adam and Eve brought original sin on everybody. They did. Well, you, but yeah. they they but, also I mean, got I've, it themselves. brought it on themselves. But like, yeah, okay, they they got it. Yeah, they got everybody with it. Right. So, one so the, mm. right. The, the new covenant fulfillments are are something that came with Mary and and Jesus. And does uh, this tie into like the uh, new versus old testament where like okay, like that there's the new covenant with God in the New Testament, that's why like the old testament is a, like I, I mean for lack of a better phrase, like less relevant. That's why we don't like Right. So the old the old testament Jesus came to fulfill the the Old Testament. So it the Old Testament was leading up it's it's all leading up to the salvation that comes for, to us through Mary and and Jesus. Okay, and this so, might be a whole other podcast episode that I just like walked into. No, uh, no, I think you're on a I think you're on the right path there because it it is everything that that the new covenant fulfills is always more glorious and more perfect than the Old Testament, which is what makes it a little irrelevant, is that, um, so like, if, if you're looking at the Old Testament, these are, well, Hebrews 10.1, but a shadow of good things to come in the New Covenant is what that says, Hebrews 10.1. So if, if you're thinking of that, you consider the revelation of Mary as the new Eve. After the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, uh, God promised to bring another woman in Genesis 3.15 or a new Eve who would oppose the devil mm-hmm. and whose, whose seed would crush his head. So this woman and her seed would reverse the curse, so to speak, and that the original man and woman had brought humanity through their disobedience and now Mary gives birth to Jesus who destroys that. This gets back to what I was talking about earlier with the, you know, they say it was the... Uh whatever you said it was going to be a woman um but yeah no they said it was good the uh 
new savior mother of christ again earlier in the episode with uh was going to be in the in the house of david and if she if she is the first uh like if she's the first like single daughter essentially like the end of the line people should have been seeing this coming from miles away mhm be like oh man i don't know what mary's dad's name was but like you know Joachim. If old Joachim doesn't have a son, hey, keep your eye on Mary, because uh, some shit's about to happen. Like, literally and the a, chosen one. The the quick uh, the quick Google search says no, Mary had no siblings. So, which which makes sense. You logically you gotta say, hey, no, she she did not have any siblings. She was the end of the line there. She's the new Eve. She's the last Eve. Yeah, no. If people have been saying she, you know. Uh, the mother of God's going to be the last Eve, and they say it's going to be the line of David. Uh, they might have been. Yeah. I don't know if I'm reaching here, but this seems no, like no, it no. might have been, might have been, you know, not necessarily, you know, written in Almost stone. like prophets had been predicting this for generations before it happened, and then it did happen, and mm. also, it all you know, came as together. A, as a side note, I'll kind of wonder how much of that prophet thing is a little bit of confirmation bias, like. Kind of like just throwing stuff at the wall and be like, oh, they said a lot of stuff, but some stuff they got right. And that's what got <laughs> written down. They're like, man, he really predicted that. Like, <laughs> Well, and that that's why some people might not, you know, have just jumped on board immediately, too, is because there were false prophets, obviously, mm-hmm. that were like, man, there's pretty good grift in being a, a prophet nowadays. And mm-hmm. let me let me see what I can do. So so it was like for every 10, one of those like, things. Good journalist you have. There's an Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, who's just spitting stuff? Sometimes he gets it right, and everybody's like, "Oh, wow!" Oh. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, but he has said like eight thousand things, and that's like yeah. one, yeah, like, and it just stuck. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, exactly. But the prophets that they did that they did have written down, yes, the the law got fulfilled in them. But it was one of those things where you had to go back and like, oh, actually, that matches up with with this one right here. This this was correct prophecy that that went on and did that. Mm-hmm and disregard the the false prophets that came. So, yeah, you're right there the the and and you can read a lot about uh Mary and her role as the new Eve and what she has done for salvation or what I guess revelation it's what she will do that was revealed to us uh, of stepping on the serpent, destroying evil uh and and that's also where we get part of her being the queen of heaven as well. So she is crowned in, I think it's Revelation 12. I didn't write this one down because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Revelation 12, where she's crowned with a crown of 12 stars, she she gives birth uh, to the one that will destroy all evil in Revelation. And when we also call Mary the Queen of Heaven, it's not only because we see it there here on uh, in Revelation that she is crowned uh, in heaven, we see in the ancient world as well, you had your king, but who was the queen? So whenever David was king, the queen was his mother. And that's, if Jesus is king of kings, Mary is queen of queens. She is the oh, queen huh. of, of, of heaven, queen of earth, uh, queen of all, as the mother of the king. And now is that like a, I guess a 
naming convention back then like when an official title given to yeah that that is kind of thing it was like like you know if the the king and then the queen is his mother rather than his wife like mm -hmm. to be the king's consort kind of thing right so so the queen the queen wasn't in power per se she had all the influence though well i mean I, i feel like just that statement right there she didn't have any power, but she had all the influences. Pretty much, like, absent, like, the, the the monarchies with, like, female rulers. That's a pretty good, like, blanket statement for, like, all monarchies ever. Like Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so it's the, it's going to be the, the top, mm-hmm. the top dog. And that's also why, you know, when you put this all together, she is without original sin. She did not sin her entire life. She was full of grace. Uh, she was the mother of God. She is the greatest creature, being one who was created mm. of all of history and all that will be to come. Because she was the she is the only one who has not sinned. She's been f- infused full of grace, and that's why we put her on a pedestal above all the other saints. You know, she's not she's not the same as as like Saint Francis or Saint Benedict or whoever. Uh, St. Bernard, Mm -hmm. you know, these are all, you know, people who are in heaven, they have the beatific vision, but they are not on the same level, they are not on the same, uh, they don't see even as clearly as as Mary does the full, true, and and beauty of of God in its fullness. Mm -hmm. So so that is why we put her on a pedestal above all all others, all Mm -hmm. others that are created. Or why we like you know venerate Mary in that respect? Like I say, we like the royal mm-hmm. we you know, Catholics generally like tend to venerate Mary. Isn't right. It? Like not not in an iconography sense, but more the like. No, she was just like a really big deal. Right. Right. Yeah. She's the biggest deal that's ever happened. Literally, She's... the mother of God. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we say our Hail Marys as well is, you know, maybe we have broken our relationship with Christ because of repeated sin uh, and, you know, to get back in the good graces, you know, going to confession obviously is going straight to Christ and saying, hey, I'm sorry for my sins. But in the meantime, on the way there is, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The words of, of the angel Gabriel, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. So pray those Hail Marys because she'll be praying for you at the moment of our death, <laughs> at the hour of our death, and making sure that she's sitting there going, hey, uh, Jesus, son, this guy's about to die. He needs to, he needs to get on up here. We want her on our side and, and consulting Jesus. Yeah. One might even call it, you know, a Hail Mary before you get into heaven. Like, really just pitch that up that one last time? Say it again. It might be funnier the next time. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I can't believe you were scared <laughs> that. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, it, and, that, and that's, again, obviously why we call the football play a one last ditch effort is because we hope to have that one last ditch effort at the hour of our death of, of you know, being saved mm-hmm. at that final moment. Oh, yeah. No, whenever I messed up in school. Like as a kid, I distinctly remember, you know, you know that I lived out in the country. Shocker. And so yeah, that big old long car ride home, I remember just saying the Hail Mary. 
We're like, hey, <laughs> at the hour of my death, I just which, which might be soon. Yeah, which, which may be fast approaching. Hey, I just need a little little help here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, so Colby, uh, I'm gonna do something here where that I hadn't done before. I got questions that okay. you did not address. So good. One, Go you mentioned it. I didn't want to interrupt the flow, but was Mary 14 when she was con- when Jesus was conceived? You're making me doubt myself now, but I believe that's correct. Because my I literally wrote that down. How old was Mary when Christ was born? Okay, conceived, whatever. But uh, I mean, it wouldn't shock me for the times, but I'm curious. And also, like. I mean, along that line, it's like we talk about Mary, um, but really the last thing I know about her is her at Christ's death, like at his crucifixion. I know she was there, but like, when did she die? I feel like that would have been, because we have a decent, um, you know, it ain't a great history, but we got some idea of the characters around um, that time frame, and a lot of the saints have been doing her around that time. But do we know when she died? Like, Okay, so so the the biblical biblical for the first answer biblical scholars between the ages is fourteen and sixteen is wow. what they said. Wow! So we don't have the exact age. Um, as far as her death, so I can't remember if we touched on this a little bit before. I mean, we touched on it briefly when we we talked about the rosary, um, the assumption of Mary. So Mary, because she was without sin, she didn't have death brought upon her like you and I will one day find. So death is a consequence of our sin and the original sin that is part of us. Mary was brought body and soul into heaven. She was assumed into heaven, assumed rather than ascended because she was brought up by God. She Mm. didn't float herself into heaven. She was brought there because the, she was still human. The skeptic in me is saying that like she just like wandered off into the desert and they're like, well, you know, she assumed, but like Well says, Revelation Revelation does say that she went off into the desert for forty days uh after that, giving birth. So did, she could have as well. I was like, but, that's like, did she assume at that you know <laughs> around but, that time? But that like, is that is the um Mary Mary could not have died the same way you and I are going to die. She took her rest and was assumed into heaven. Uh, early Roman soldiers and all of those that were trying to you know, kill all the Christians, they looked hard for her burial place and looked hard for mm-hmm. tombstone anything that said Mary, mother of Jesus on it. But, uh, but no, she was, she was brought into heaven without death. Now, when that happened, I'm not really sure. I would imagine it wasn't long after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven because, I mean, what are you waiting around for on earth at this point if, you know, you you had that happen, but... Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like a a really good plot for the next Dan Dan Brown book. Like, this is actually the burial place of Mary. Like, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, you know... We'll see it on Matt Geo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A, a Nat a Geo, an hour-long Nat Geo show that, like, doesn't address anything. It'd be like, by the end of this episode, we're going to find the tomb of Mary. And it's like, join us next episode, where we <laughs> explore the origins of Mary's family. 
And so that actually kind of leads me into my, my next point was, like, so we talk about the Immaculate Conception being Mary. We never talk about her parents. Okay, so so we do sometimes talk about our parents. Her parents are St. Joachim and Anne. Wow. Wow, they really went two ends of the spectrum with the names on that one. <laughs> um, so Saint, Saints uh, Anne and Joachim are those that are uh, Mary's parents. And they are, we don't know a whole lot about them other than we know that Joachim was in the line of David. Uh, and we know that their their faith obviously uh, was strong because it impacted Mary as well. It'd be mm-hmm. hard to remain full of grace in a home with parents who are not followers of God themselves. Mm-hmm. So they were good good uh, good Hebrews, good Jews that came through and and did what they needed to do to uh, you know raise their child and follow God and everything that they they did. Okay. I mean, and I, I do have a bit of a question of like, you know, I guess the lineage of that as well with the, the Immaculate Conception, because it's like, is it at the moment of conception with Mary? Um, you know, did Joachim, Joaquin, whatever, what is his name? Joachim? Um, Joachim. Yeah, Joachim. Did he have like the Immaculate Seed? Did that go all the way, you know, was it only for daughters, the first daughters, only daughter? You know, it goes down that line, but... But you really don't, like, I, I didn't even know Mary's mother's name was Anne. Uh, but you really, like, I feel like that's not a commonly talked about thing, is her parents. I mean, we talk about, like, the Immaculate Conception being Mary, and, like, some folks not knowing that, notably me. But I feel like fewer folks even know, like, about her parents at all. Yeah. The, I think, and they are kind of a, a niche following, I guess, especially among uh, parents because there's just not a whole lot of saints that are husband and wife. Yeah. And I'm they're really, they're one of them. I'm really into Saint Anne. You probably haven't heard of them. <laughs> yeah. So okay, now that uh that answers that in it and really interesting uh episode, especially on the uh the general immaculateness and grace. But uh mm-hmm. I guess at this point it's uh my portion, right? Yeah, go ahead. So in keeping with theme and uh, talking about the early church, I am going to talk about a guy I kind of briefly mentioned last episode, and it is Pope Saint. That's how you say it, with yep. the titles. Pope Saint Clement I. Now, I don't know why we say it that way, but Sounds we dumb. Do. Sounds super dumb. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Pope Saint Clement I. Colby, you are familiar with this man. I, I didn't try to fool you on this one. I don't really know anything about him other than he was uh, second pope. Oh, well, haha. Oh, third you, pope. Oh, you might not be correct with that uh, because we're not really sure, but I'll get into that. But so, okay. Pope St. Clement I, uh, also known as just Clement of Rome, um, he was in our line, in like the official line, if you Google it, uh, the fourth pope of the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, oh, Linus was second. Yeah, you're right. Linus and then Cletus. Uh, I just wanted to show off how much I knew about early popes. I'm so happy that you got that so wrong, <laughs> so confidently. Uh, uh. But yeah, so so he was born in 35 AD. Uh, so, uh, and he, well, he held the office of pope from 88 AD to 99. He was so close to 100, just right there getting that uh, century zero. 
But uh, he's actually the patron saint of Mariners. Um, not like much else. Like the baseball team in Seattle? Ha 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 ha. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> but uh, folks on the sea. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, if you remember last week's episode, I did talk about this because uh, he was the first apostolic father of the church, um, which is known as like the main three of the apostolic fathers uh, are Polycarp, um, St. Ignatius of Antioch, which I did last week, and then uh, Pope Clement the first. Um, so. Can I ask a question that might put you on the spot a little bit? What does that mean, the apostolic father of the church? So the, they're just a group um, of like first and second century theologians um, that they're known as the apostolic fathers, but they're, uh, their writings were some of the first Christian writings, um, mm. but none of those writings got incorporated into the Bible. So right. okay. they're, they're really good windows into like the early Christian church, um, the early Catholic church, but they're not part of like our everyday doctrine that we're familiar with. Gotcha. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and uh, yeah, Pope St. Clement was the, was the first of those. Like he was the earliest. So um, he was actually appointed by uh, St. Peter himself. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, we don't know a lot about his life um, other than essentially historians that came afterwards. So a lot of this is like, it's kind of cross-reference between historical accounts, um, but there's really no first-hand accounts of like, you know, he was born in this town and this is where he grew mm-hmm. up and what he did. Um, but again, like, a, like I mentioned before, it's kind of unclear, you know, where in the line of like which Pope he was, where he fell. Uh, Cause early church lists have him as the second, third or fourth uh, Bishop of Rome after Peter. Mm. Like, Given that there really wasn't, it makes sense because they're given that there wasn't really a solid like election plan for the Pope, like, mm-hmm. and this is especially in the in the uh, the prosecution of Christians pretty heavily uh, during that time. They weren't sending up smoke <laughs> saying, "Hey, we got a new one." Uh, yeah. And at the time too, the the Roman government just putting them up, knocking them down as they popped up like whack a mole. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so w- w- we say generally he's going to be the fourth. Um, Mainly because I don't want to get super into uh, the various, uh, like, well, this historian said he was second, and this one said he was third. And guess what? I'm just not going to read all that and cross-reference it. But, yeah. (laughs) He was fourth. Deal with it. Yeah. So, he's fourth after (laughs) St. Linus and uh, St. Anacletus, uh, which we've shortened to Cletus. Uh, Again. (laughs) Patron St. Alabama. Good old Southerners sitting in there in the Vatican. Uh-huh. Just call him Cletus. Yeah, exactly. So Clement uh, really only has one genuine writing attributed to him. Um, it is a letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, do you remember where Corinth is, Colby? Macedonia. Oh, this Nailed is, it. This is fast becoming a meme. It's Greece. Uh, oh. Yeah, so... Uh, it's known as First Clement, like it's uh, essentially Clement's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, you know, one Clement, however they do the nomenclature for the Bible. Um, it did not make it into the Bible, um, but it is the earliest authentic Christian writing outside of the New Testament. Uh, hmm. Yeah, no, it addresses uh, the Corinthians after they had dis- deposed some bishops, and essentially, like you know, that's uh, the Pope's writing and saying, like, "Hey, you should not do that." Um, but it also records like the martyrdom of St. Peter. And it also suggests that, uh, Paul traveled to Spain, which was kind of neat. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Uh, so the letter came about three years before his death in 99 AD, as I mentioned before, uh, which is also part of it because he is also a, a very prominent uh, early Christian martyr. Uh, according to legend, um, Clement was banished from Rome by the Emperor Trajan uh, during those, uh, you know, those persecutions of Christians. But uh, he was sent to work in a rock quarry in Greece. Uh, after arriving, he saw the prisoners had no water, so he sat down and prayed, which must have looked crazy as hell um, with all those guys <laughs> breaking rocks and big rocks and the smaller rocks. And because again, he's like 65 at this point. So he just like, this old man just like kneels down and like sits. And 65 in 99 AD or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he's yeah. real old. Yeah, no, yeah, he, he's rickety. Um, yeah, so he sat down, he prayed, he looked up, uh, he saw a lamb on a hill. And so he walked up to that hill where the lamb was, uh, which God knows how, you know, how that went. Folks, had the, to had to say in shape if you were a pope. Yeah, the uh, the corrections officers being like, uh, "What you doing there, chief?" But again, he probably wasn't great at breaking up rocks, so they kind of let him do his thing. But uh, anyway, he walked up to the hill uh, where the lamb was, and he hit the ground with a pickaxe or whatever he, tool he had, um, which released a geyser of water because there was no water. Um, and given that miracle, uh, all the prisoners. Uh, <laughs> Quickly converted to Christianity, um, <laughs> as well as like the surround the pagans in the surrounding villages, because word traveled pretty quick about that one. Uh, and for that, uh, old Pope Saint Clement was executed. Uh, and of course, for doing that, for his crimes of you know mining the wrong way, I guess. Uh, yeah. So to uh, is that is that geyser still there? Can you find it? Not that I saw. Uh, okay. Honestly, I didn't look it up, but I feel like, no. I'm sure an ad would have popped up that was like, come visit yeah, St. Clement's Geyser. Yeah. Uh, so for, for, for those crimes, uh, he was tied to an anchor and tossed into the Black Sea. Hmm. Yeah. Um, which, the more and more I do these and the more I research like um, some of these very early, early uh, Christian figures, a lot of this like a lot of Christian, um, like early Christian history happened at like in Ukraine, Ukraine, Turkey, and you know, some, and obviously Greece a little bit, but like there's weirdly a lot in Ukraine. Is that uh, where he was? So, so, Interesting. Cur so currently, um, there's the, there's a monastery called the Inkerman cave monastery in Crimea, which supposedly marks the place where he was tossed overboard. Uh, yeah, so I mean, and don't. I gotta anyone, see a map now. Yeah, don't anyone come at me on Crimea. Uh, uh, like, you know, I don't. I know it's a hot take, but it is Ukrainian. A take, hot take that it exists. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, that's where allegedly he was tossed overboard in the Black Sea. Um, his again alleged relics uh, are now in the Basilica de San Clemente in Rome. Um, However, this is my a bit of my spin on it. Um, the origin of those relics uh, being might be a little questionable uh, because they were brought to Rome by Saint Cyril um, around the year 869. 
Um, so if you're doing the quick math in your head, it's about 750 years later <laughs> uh, because and he came with these bones and he, he was like, supposedly he, he found some bones um, tied to an anchor on dry land in Crimea or Crimea. Hmm. Yeah. And he got them, brought them to Rome and said, Hey, this is Pope St. Clement. Um, so, okay. Uh, well, we'll give you So that. I'm looking at the map now and I was like, okay, how on earth is, does things end up in, in Ukraine? But now I see, okay, if you're in Turkey, the Black Sea and, and the, the yeah. Aegean Sea and all that is, yeah, you can get there. Yeah, they're all connected. It's all the major shipping routes. But, um, yeah. But yeah, still, still an interesting bit. Um, so yeah, no, his uh, his relics are now in in Rome. Um, also, his head is uh, supposedly in the Kiev Monastery of the Caves in Ukraine. Hmm. Which Google it, the Kiev mon- or Kiev, however you say it, Monastery of the Caves. It's a beautiful building. Uh, so yeah, no, a lot of his stuffs in Ukraine. But uh, but yeah, and his feast day. Uh, is November twenty third. So yeah. Okay. So that, coming up. That's the the fourth or fourth or second or third pope of the Catholic Church. Very cool. All right. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode of the Pious, the Pig, and the Podcast. We will see you here next week. Give us a five star rating if you liked it. If you didn't like it, get better taste. Again, you can't lead off bad. Like, and again, folks, if you have any suggestions or uh, you know criticism or what have you, uh, or have suggestions or topics you want us to cover, please shoot us an email at uh, piouspig at gmail dot com. And as always, uh, rate and review and uh, tell a friend. It really helps us out. If you think we're interesting, send it to your friend. Send it to your grandma. Yes, please, please send it to a friend. All right, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Peace.